0: The text for our sermon today is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 to 22, and then there's a New Testament reading as well from Acts chapter 3, 17 to 26, so I'm going to first read the reading from Deuteronomy, which is the sermon text, and then also just this additional reading from the book of Acts. So this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. I give you a careful attention to it, Deuteronomy chapter 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord." And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true... That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And now, Acts chapter 3, 17 to 26. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you're bringing to us today, and that we ask by the power of your Spirit you would impress the truth of it upon our hearts, the seriousness of not listening to your prophet and seeking false revelation elsewhere, and rather that we would hear the words that come from our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who you have sent as the true prophet. So aid us this morning hour to a step away from our worldly cares and concerns, and to hear the word that comes from your mouth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what would you give to know the future? And what would you do if you knew the future? Well, it's part of the human condition that everybody desires to know what's going to happen tomorrow and thereafter. In fact, you might find billionaire businessmen in Tibet groveling at the feet of a monk to find out what the fates hold. Heartbroken people may consult horoscopes. This is all a pathology, a sickness of our fallen nature. That is, we we desire to escape creatureliness and know something about the future, to control our fate, to be captains. And masters of our own destinies. Some even spiritualize the need for knowledge about the future, saying, I just want to make sure that I don't step outside of God's plan for me. But in His mercy, God knows our weakness, and He knows we are concerned about the future. And so He gives us a way to know about His will and to make known for us some of the things that will happen in the future. And He does this. Through the office of the prophet. And in our text, we're going to see the institution of this office. God sets aside the special office of prophet. Basically a lineage that will continue over over past Moses and who will proclaim God's will. Finally leading to the ultimate prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We are not presently doing a series through Deuteronomy. We are doing a series of uh, Christmas-related texts. Uh, This week, about the incarnation of Christ in his office as prophet. So, it might be worth just noting what's been happening in the chapters leading up to chapter 18 in in Deuteronomy, which is that from about the midway through chapter 16, God has begun instituting the officers who will be in Israel. So, this was the judges, the kings, the priests, and now the prophets. And What we'll see is prophetic activity is not unique to Israel. Other uh, pagan nations have attempted a form of something similar. But in, in this text, God gives the institution of prophets to Israel and says what kinds of activity are forbidden like the pagans. And then he establishes this prophetic office in Israel and he gives them criteria for validating that message. Verse 9 begins with uh, an, where God calls the practices of the surrounding nations abominations, things that are detestable in his sight. The, the broader context of giving all of these offices to Israel is that they have been brought uh, into, as they're being promised, this land of Canaan that they're going to enter. And when they come into it, they're going to see all sorts of detestable things that the Lord hates. Now, these are repulsive to God in his holiness. Uh, In fact, he is purging the land of these things in order to bring the people, his own people, into the land. For God, what is particularly repulsive about these other means of trying to know about the future is that they are attempts to know and control our own fate. In a way, it's trying to become like God. That we, don't, that we are rejecting creatureliness and trying to be like God. And so God uh, here gives a list through Moses of eight different practices that he hates. That are detestable, abominable in his sight. And we can divide them into two kind of broad categories. The first is called divination, and then the second would be magic. Now, divination is trying to obtain information about the future through various practices. And magic is used to control people and events. So divination is about finding out things about the future, and then magic is trying to control people and events. Now, We don't know a huge amount of detail about exactly what each one of these activities entails, but we do have some ideas. So to to sketch it out for you broadly, diviners or fortune tellers or omen interpreters are those who use various practices to try and peer into the future behind the veil of what's been revealed to people by normal means. This included, uh, apparently, a kind of human sacrifice, sending children through fire to try and Uh, get the gods to give them information. Uh, This practice is listed a lot in the Old Testament, many times. Uh, It's associated with the Ammonite god Moloch in one place, and in other places it's associated with divination and sorcery in general. Other kinds of divination, trying to figure out information about the future, is done by examining the entrails of dead animals, by looking at the patterns of wind, clouds, and birds flying in the sky. It's called augury. Or by shaking objects and casting them to the ground, whether that's bones or quills in a quiver, uh, arrows in a quiver. Or the mixing of liquids and solids or liquids and oils in a cup and observing the pattern. Now you would have seen that in in the story of Joseph. So we see an example of this in Ezekiel twenty-one twenty-one. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He shakes the arrows, he consults the teraphim, and he looks at the liver. So the entrails of, of an animal to try and figure out the future. So that's diviners, fortune tellers, and omen interpreters. And then we have sorcerers or charmers. This is those who have a special ability to conjure appearances of spirits, uh, to ward off evil spirits, and even to cast powerful spells that would bring the object that they, of their curse under their control. And finally, mediums or necromancers are those who would attempt to communicate with the dead, in order to obtain information. So these could be the, the souls of uh, dead people or uh, other kinds of spirits uh, who would be able to provide more guidance and information than the living. A classic example of this is the Witch of Endor in the first, uh, first uh, book of Samuel, where Saul enlists this witch to try and contact Samuel after, after he had died. So this is the water that the ancient and pagan world is swimming in. So the point of having this list of eight things is that it's meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to be a total list of, to, to indicate any kind of pagan attempts to know the future are abominable to the Lord and forbidden for Israel. And in fact, we see this when he says that it is because of what these people have done that the Lord is going to drive out these people from before them. So in purging the land of wickedness, God is also going to say, not only am I kicking out these pagans for what they have done, which is detestable for me, but do not then catch the fever, demon fever, and try and do the same thing yourselves. Instead, they are to be blameless. See verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God, meaning do not do these things. And the reason it keeps framing the, this with the, word, with the words, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, five times, is to emphasize that they are to worship and consult God alone. Not to engage in the practices of the pagans, but to seek anything they need to know, revelation-wise, from God alone. And this shouldn't be surprising to us, having read the Old Testament, because what we see as one of the themes of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, is that God is communicating to his people that there is only one God, and he alone is to be worshipped, that he is a jealous God. He is the only one to be consulted, the only one to be trusted, the only one to be inquired of. And... That he promises to give his people exactly what they need. That everything they need for their good, God as their covenant God will provide. So there is no need to go beyond the bounds of God's wisdom in determining what people need. In fact, he's, the, the point being made here is that his speech is sufficient for the Israelites. What he tells them through the prophets is going to be enough for them. And the presumption, though, that underlies all of these practices is not that this is just charlatanry, meaning not that this is just people pretending to do some hocus pocus, but that these things, to some extent, work, that there, there is demonic power involved in these activities these are not morally neutral things. Where it's simply uh, we're we're rolling dice rather than speaking with God, but rather it's to consort with demonic activity. They, they are witches with power. That's the implication of this. These the curses and the and the magic spoken about in the Old Testament is that these are not just kooky people, right? Posting stuff on Facebook. These are people with actual spiritual demonic power, all the more reason to abhor and to abstain from these things. So in some, ultimately, the reason to reject them, these ways of knowing the future, is not because they don't work, but because they are a rejection of God, to consult them rather than God. So it's not that the Israelites, God is not going to tell them anything about the future. It's that they must avail themselves of no other means then the prophetic office that God has established is fitting for Israel. So what is this prophet like? Well, at the end of verse 14, the text says, "But as for you, so in contrast to the pagans, as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do what these pagans do. Instead, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me," says Moses. So these verses introduce the prophet as a a contrast to the kinds of means that the pagan gods used. So when he says, uh, God will raise up a prophet like me, meaning the one who is a a prototype, uh, a foreshadow of all true prophetic office in Israel. Moses will stand as the head of a succession of prophets that will be traceable all the way through to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Although it says a prophet, it is quite common in Hebrew prophetic texts for a singular to be used to stand in for multiple applications, that this, this text can be used of prophets throughout the history of Israel And, as we will see in Acts chapter 3, ultimately that's got to be true because Peter says this prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was also true that there were many prophets like Moses in succession after Moses. So, ultimately nested inside this promise from God about prophecy is that there is a, a line of prophets, but also a prophet par excellence a true and ultimate prophet, a messianic prophet who is to come. And the Lord God will raise up this prophet, which is interesting because the rest of the the offices, like a king and priest, were hereditary. These offices passed from successive generation to generation. But the office of prophet, the Lord could call up from any random place at any random time which is why we often see in the at the beginning of the prophetic books a random announcement of where this prophet came they don't say he's the son of this prophet who is the son of this prophet who is the son of this prophet it's just amos from Tekoa, a sheep breeder you know so there's a different nature to this prophetic office god can call anyone at any time and the and the lord says it is to him you shall listen. Not to these other detestable practices and those who perform them, like the pagans, but it is to the prophet that God has appointed that you must listen. Because God will put his words in his mouth, as he's going to say shortly. But why, do, why did God institute this prophetic office? Well, he tells us in verse 16, Moses explained... Just as you desired of the Lord God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. Okay, they were afraid of God in his holiness. They couldn't bear to be in the, the light and holiness of, of God. In fact, they couldn't even hear his words because of their transcendent nature, right? And they were right about this. So that's why the Lord said to Moses, they are right in what they have spoken. So what the people had asked for is, give us somebody who can be between us and you so that we don't have to experience the terror of God's holy presence. So that is what the Lord is doing. He is bringing up an office, raising up an office. The first person to occupy that office is Moses, has a unique role. Because he's the mediator, right, as the, uh, the Bible calls him, of the covenant. He is there to stand between the people and, and God. But after Moses, something is going to change. And the ministry of the prophet becomes not now one of standing between God and the people so much, as rather a ministry of revelation and a ministry of enforcing the covenant, meaning... He comes to charge the people with their disobedience to God's covenant and to demand obedience and, as some of the prophets do, some more than others, promise good things about the future, to prophesy about the new covenant. So the nature of this office, like what the prophet is going to do, is spelled out in verses 18 to 20. God is going to put his words In the mouth of the prophet. It is in fact God himself who raises up and gives speech to a prophet to speak to his people. And and it's for that exact reason that a prophet could actually speak and then say, Thus saith the Lord. Because it is actually Yahweh who has put his words into the mouth of the prophet. So when the prophet speaks, it is God speaking. Now, naturally, as you might realize, that requires obedience because when God speaks, his people must obey. So even though it's the prophet speaking, since it is God's words, to disobey the prophet and his words would be to reject and to disobey God. And that's why God instructs, it is to him that you shall listen. And Furthermore, whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Meaning that that person who rejects God's word in the prophet heaps judgment upon himself. And we see that. Do, do we not through the books of the, of the prophets? The prophets come and deliver a word from the Lord and they spurn the prophets. And then God's judgment, uh, the, the gates of God's judgment open and, and wrath pours out. And then they go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, OK, we repent, and God relents of his, of his wrath." And so that's essentially the nature of the prophetic ministry. is it's cycles of disobedience to God, the prophet enforcing the covenant and requiring obedience, God's wrath being poured out, and then repentance. And this cycle seems to go on and on throughout the Old Testament. During all of this time, as the prophet is speaking, there's obviously occasions where it would be difficult to judge whether what this prophet is saying is God's word or not. So God gives the people a test that they can use. And The first is, if they speak in the name of other gods, immediately, they're a false prophet. Okay, That's an instantaneous test. But the other test involves the passing of a bit of time. And that is, if what they prophesy doesn't come true, then they are not a prophet of God. And then it says, this is not a word that the Lord has spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously in his, out of himself as opposed to from God. God has not put his word in his mouth. And so if so, if a prophet speaks falsely, you don't have to fear him. He can, he can storm around stating all the curses that will come down on your head, and you don't have to fear a thing because a false prophet does not speak for God. Only the one that is a, a true prophet is one who should be feared and obeyed. But the issue as is we see this unfolding in, throughout the Old Testament is that the cycle just keeps repeating itself over and over where is it going? Is, is this God's ultimate plan? That we're going to continually having cycles of disobedience, uh, prophecy, uh, wrath, repentance, and then disobedience again and in cycle after cycle. Well, even as the prophets continued their ministry as those who were enforcing the old covenant, they also began to prophesy of a new covenant, a covenant that was to come, one different from the covenant that they were under. And when a new covenant is established, a new mediator for that covenant is required as well. So Moses' ministry and the ministry of all the prophets under the old covenant had a ministry of condemnation, a ministry of Pressing the law against the people and demanding obedience. But the ministry of the new covenant, the mediator of the new covenant comes in a ministry of gospel grace. And this is made clear in Acts chapter 3, where Peter says that Christ is the fulfillment of this prophet in whose mouth God will put his word. All the way back from Deuteronomy 18, this prophet, although it was a lineage of prophets, it was ultimately recognizing a prophet as, like Moses himself. Uh, Moses' prophecy ultimately in Israel came to be regarded as a kind of uh, messianic in scope kind of prophecy. But Peter says that that Messiah that is in view, is Jesus. And that when he comes in his prophetic office, what Jesus does is he brings an ultimate revelation of God's will. And he leads people to a final salvation, a salvation which ends the cycles, these endless seeming cycles of judgment and repentance and prophecy and, and so on. Jesus functions now for Israel, uh, for the new Israel, as Moses did for Israel at the time of the Exodus. And so now what Peter's point is, by your response to the resurrected Jesus, you will know whether you belong to the true Israel or not. Because standing before them was the true prophet, the one that Ultimately, Moses was speaking about Jesus, and here God had said, "Even under the administration of the old covenant, if you reject the prophet that He sent and you reject the words He spoke, you are rejecting Yahweh. How much more when Christ comes? So that the litmus test of whether people are part of the true Israel is whether they receive the mediator, the prophet." who brings God's word in the new covenant, and that is Jesus. And because Christ's ministry is so much greater than Moses' ministry, how much more the response is binding on on those who who come face-to-face with the word about Christ. And so Peter warns them that destruction awaits those who reject Christ. And so he, Jesus, comes as the revelation of God's divine will for his people in the new covenant. Now, Moses had left the revelation of God's will as imperfect and incomplete. But now Christ comes and speaks a final word for God's new covenant in Christ. And his words as prophet did not cease simply when he, uh, did not consist simply of his words that he spoke when he was on the earth in his incarnational ministry. But he actually continued to do so after his ascension because he sent forth the Holy Spirit to remind the apostles of the word that Christ had spoken to them, that they may preach it and proclaim it, and some of them may author scripture to commit it to, to writing in scripture. That, that word that qualifies them to speak the message of the gospel. And ultimately, as prophet, he will be the one who opens the sealed book when, when he returns. And he will disclose what will befall his church and its enemies until the end of time. That is what we have in the book of Revelation. That as prophet, by the power of the Spirit, Christ has continued to reveal to his people, us, what we need to know about the future. He's given books worth to us in the scriptures as his people of what we need to know about the future for our comfort, for our consolation, for our godliness as we await his return. And he even continues his office by the power of the Spirit, giving gifts to men for the work of ministry, that his work might be Prophesied, which is to be proclaimed from the pulpit. God, in fact, cares so much for your ongoing comfort and edification that he has given to the church the gifts of officers who may proclaim his word. That God puts his word, insofar as it is his scripture, in their mouths to comfort his people. And he comes to you individually by indwelling you. With the Holy Spirit, testifying prophetically of your adoption as sons and the inheritance that you will obtain at Christ's return. Now, in light of the glory of Christ's prophetic ministry, there's two things that we need to consider in our particular context here. The first relates to the use of witchcraft and other kinds of means of knowing the future and controlling the future, uh, which is a significant issue in South Africa. Uh, From the street signs where you see people saying that they can help you restore what has been lost, or they can tell you what's going to happen to you in your future, or that you can curse your enemies and prevent destruction coming upon your house that you can guard and protect your place and that you can attack others using spiritual power this aspect of life pervades south african culture and even if you personally haven't come into contact with it it is really truly deeply pervasive across our country and it is something that is extremely detestable to god that people are uh, messing with spiritual powers, not just those consulting those, but also the the, the witch doctors and so on performing these wicked, uh, unholy acts. So to do so, to get involved with this, even to consult one of these people, is to open yourself up to tremendous, tremendous risk. It is to, to dabble in demonic activity and... You should have nothing to do with it under any circumstances. And if you have, you should or are currently, you must stop and you must repent and you must go to a biblical church. Uh, we are here, but there will be those listening uh, who are not. And you should go to a church and you should seek God's counsel, which will come which has come through the mouth of Christ and is proclaimed from the pulpit of a faithful church. But also, there is hope, because if you have engaged in these things and stopped and repented, you need not fear, because when you become a Christian, God indwells you by his Holy Spirit, and then nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You, you will have nothing to fear because nothing can separate you from God. Yes, these are powerful and destructive and dangerous and evil, but nothing is more powerful than the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have ever been involved in these things, you need not fear if you have repented and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, in our context, another major issue relating to this concerns the so-called prosperity gospel. Uh, if, you, if you walk around the shopping centers in Hillcrest or Waterfall or Durban uh, or Pavilion long enough, you are probably going to run into a self-proclaimed prophet. And this will be a person who uh, considers themselves to hear from God and to know things about the future and to be able to greatly bless you with wisdom and insight concerning the future. There are prophetic schools, there are prophetic classes, uh, there are prophetic conferences, and, and where people can apparently learn these skills. And what we need to understand is... Exactly what the scripture tells us is that long ago, in a great variety of detail, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is of absolute central importance to what is going on in the, world, in the Christian world, in the church these days. There's, it's something my... Professor of uh, Church History called the a Quirk the quest for illegitimate religious certainty. People exploring illegitimate ways to get certainty about their future. And this leads to all sorts of terrible things. Now, obviously, if all these people who claim to be prophets and people who speak to these prophets and propagate their messages and everything, in what they say, they w- they actually wish to honor God and obey him and know his will for their lives for the future and, and so that they can continue to walk in, in God's will and, and his ways and so on. But really, what they are doing does not bring freedom at all. It brings a kind of slavery that will slowly choke out your spiritual life. Uh, these b- people will end up spending money on false prophets uh, who are f- basically just charlatans, uh, card readers, and so on. And put vi- they put up videos on, on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and, and TikTok and that sort of thing and get huge followings because they are speaking and, get, and offering people exactly what they want with itching ears. But they have no substance to offer because God did not put any of those words in their mouths. And so, you should not listen to them. You should not listen to them at all. They have no benefit to offer you for your spiritual life. Now, genuine Christians do get caught up in this. In fact, there's a number of us, myself included, who have had involvement in this in our past. But once you get to see the truth of Christ's prophetic ministry, you realize that what these people get up to has far more in common with pagan divination than it does anything to do with biblical Christianity. And so it's not something to be occasionally involved in. It's something to be avoided and repented of so that you can rest in, in trusting that God is going to tell you. In his word and through the the preaching of the word and the the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart, every single thing that you need to know about the future for you you to be filled with confidence and joy and peace, not to be a slave to the work, essentially, of demons. And one of the other ways to think about this is to say, since Christ's office is One of his offices is that he came as prophet to speak his word to us. To say that you need another word is to say that Christ's office is not sufficient for you. And maybe you haven't thought of it that way in the past, but that is a scary accusation to make. Why would uh, he need further prophetic office beyond the word that he has spoken? So to seek signs and guidance for the future beyond what he has ordained, is a rejection of the supremacy of his office as prophet. So let us rather be content with the gospel that is given to us. See, Christ was not sent to us in vain, but to give us certainty of the uh, the hope of heaven. So that as we await Christ's return, we also must then apply the wisdom that is taught to us in the scriptures. And trust God's hand of providence over us. So we will not know all things about the future. But we do know everything that we should know. And his promise until then is that all things work together for our good. And unto the end of our salvation. And so for this reason, we must listen to the voice of Christ in his ministry hearing the proclamation of the gospel and the instruction to repent and believe. This is the incarnational prophetic ministry of Christ. And he had to come as the true and final prophet because who else's word could open the eyes of the blind? Who else but God can vivify the conscience and cleanse it from dead works? Who else but God can open up the wisdom of God and give saving knowledge to his people? Who can speak into the deepest darkness such that it may become light? And people were in great darkness until the Lord Jesus came, which is why John was able to say, and into that darkness came a great light where his word came to purge evil And to establish righteousness. So how much more should we listen than the people should have listened to Moses and the prophets after them? How much more should we listen to Christ who opens to us the mysteries of sin and salvation and eternal life? Because as God, he holds in his mouth all wisdom and counsel and knowledge. And so the preacher to the Hebrew says, As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He speaks the truth to you. And he speaks the fullness of a message that supplies the fullness of your need regarding the future. So the very gift of Christ at Christmas is proof that God is committed to your hope, salvation, and comfort. As his people he has chosen to save. So, brothers and sisters, be content with God's revealed will in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what more can we say then? Thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the uniqueness and a beauty and perfection of his office as prophet, who has illumined our dark and sinful souls and set us free from sin and darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Your glorious Son, and by that same word also upholds the universe. We know that you therefore can accomplish all that you have promised to us, and that you have sealed it to us in the by the Spirit who continues to testify of this truth, which is a continuation of Christ's office until He comes. So we praise you and we thank you for this, the gift of Christmas that you sent your Son to become flesh, that He may. Uh, conduct this ministry with perfection in such a way that it brings to completion all that you promised in this text in Deuteronomy 18. We love you and praise you for the perfect work of your son Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.